Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. We're starting a brand new message series today called I Am Not Religious, I Am a Disciple. When we began this ministry, um, we're only about 10 months old as a church, but the ministry has been in existence about two years, and I always tell the familiar story of our heritage. Um, when we came here, we didn't know anybody, and so we decided to do our best to get to know people. So we invited mission teams from across the country to help us have spiritual surveys to really find out the spiritual climate of Portland. And one of the things that we found in talking to about 6,000 people one-on-one is that overwhelmingly, the people of Portland are not very religious. Would you believe that? Um, Studies show us it's the least religious city in America, and out of 6,000 conversations, we found that was true as well. But one of the most interesting things that we found is we asked people from every walk of life, all in downtown Portland, if you could know God personally, would you want to? And 84% of people said yes, and 96% of people have a positive response to Jesus. And we began to understand there is something happening in our language that we can take the chance to address. And so in the next few weeks, that's exactly what we're going to tackle together. What does it mean when we tell the city and we pass out flyers that say, no religion, just Jesus? What are we talking about? And we thought we would take a biblical approach. If you've got your Bibles in just a moment, I'm going to open the scriptures and read some incredible stuff. We're in two beautiful passages of scripture today, both in Luke. But if you want to put your finger in the one we're going to be in most of the time, it's Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And then we'll have everything up on the screens. So if you'd like to follow along there, and then we have free copies of the New Testament as you walk in, and we would love for you to take that if you don't have one. If you would like a full copy of God's Word, we'll get you one of those too. Just let us know. So, I am not religious, I am a disciple. As I said earlier, today is Mother's Day, and I got to celebrate at 4 a.m. in my office with my son, John Charles, who is six months old, six months old. He has two teeth, so I'm proud of my boy, and from this crying, I think we're working on a third. (laughs) Um, Could be. And so he finally went to bed at 4.15 a.m. celebrating Jesus, and Valentine, my four-year-old daughter, walked in at 4.16 a.m., and so we continued the celebration. Um, I'm celebrating my mom today. Sometimes she watches the live stream, and I haven't called her yet, so this is your call, Mom. I love you. Um, my mom, Kelly, is a force of nature. Her mom, Nancy, is here today, so glad to have my grandmother in the house. Um, my mom is kind of known throughout our town as this, like, feisty, awesome, southern, like full of love and spunk and everything else. Uh, I often say, have you seen the movie The Blind Side starring Sandra Bullock? That's my mom. Um, And my daughter is exactly like her. It is like the same person. I'm surrounded. I'm the normal one, I'd like to think. Um, So, you know, when you're parenting one child, you know, it's you don't know how good you've got it. Like you think it's hard, but it's not hard because you're doing zone defense. It's two against one, just trying to keep one small creature alive. Um, You think it's hard, but it's easy. And when my son, John Charles was born, we switched to man on man (laughs) and things got really interesting. And uh, the baton on several of our daily tasks got passed over to me. And that's how I know my wife is awesome. Whenever I have to take on her work, I'm like, lady, you're great. 
Um, so one of my things I have to take on in the morning, I mean, I get to have the privilege of doing, is um, I get to do Valentine's hair in the morning, which was new. Um, we love to fight about it because apparently I'm a vigorous brusher, and she has a very, she has a strong will and a tender scalp. And so um, it's my job to brush it out, and we have a 3B system. First we brush, then we band. We put in the little rubber band, and then we bow. That's it. Brush, band, bow. Come on, let's go. And I like clarity in my morning routine. Well, yesterday was a Saturday, so um, I woke up a little unspirit-filled. Um, we had no caffeinated coffee in the house. So I'm just trying to get into our regular brush bamboo system, and my daughter is not having it. And so finally I'm like, fine, have your hair. It looks like a mess. And she's like walking out, like swirly rat tails everywhere. And uh, we walk downstairs, and she's kind of just like, I don't want to say mocking me, but she was. And so I'm like making her Saturday Pop-Tart. That's the only day she can have a Pop-Tart. Um, and she's waiting right next to me as the toaster is heating up this calorie, non-nutritional waste of uh, food. And she looks at me and she goes, Dad, do you like my hair? <laughs> I said, no, I do not. She goes, isn't it beautiful? I go, no, it looks like a mess. And she just looks at me with the most serious blue eyes and says, Dad, no, 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 no. I don't want you to look at my hair. I want you to look at my heart because that's where my real beauty is. And I said, young lady, don't you dare use my words against me. You know, that's the thing with truth, isn't it? It always sounds great in theory until it's applied to our lives. And today, that is one of the things that we're going to see. I'm going to show you some scriptures that are beautiful, and they are gorgeous, and they point to this incredible, epic, global hope. And yet, there are some heavy, challenging things within these words that we're going to tackle together. I'm going to give you just a little bit of passage background. We're starting this message series on discipleship. And just to be clear, when we began this church, we were never asking the question, how do we start a church? How do we start an organization with a budget and deacons and sermons and graphics? Although we knew we would have all of those things. Because as we look to the scriptures and the Great Commission, Jesus' words before he left planet Earth, he said, go therefore and plant lots of organizations. No. He said, go and make disciples and as we often know, when we make disciples, it results in churches quite often. Uh, but we came into this ministry asking two questions. What is a disciple and how do you make one? And we are still asking that question as we guide our ministry, as we spend our resources, as we give our time, as we raise up leaders. It is a foundational question that we don't pay lip service to. We make big decisions based on those questions all of the time. We believe that the invitation to discipleship is the most glorious invitation the world has ever seen. It's our mission statement, inviting thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. And the more I live in this world called planet Earth, the more I'm convinced that everybody is thirsty. Everybody is thirsty. Deep in our souls, we have a need to know where we're from, what our purpose is, what our worth is. 
The invitation to discipleship has a resounding, light-filled, glorious answer to each of those questions. We see that this invitation is filled with hope and beauty, but also challenge. And the challenge is what makes it so good. The Bible really teaches us that we can live the life we were always meant to live. What other thing gives that offer and guarantee? The Bible actually says you can have a life that is filled with purpose. You can have a life that's filled with joy and your deepest thirst can be quenched. I ask people all the time this question. Would you, if you could, change a part of your life? And most people I talk to say, oh yeah, absolutely. But you know one thing I found? I find it in others, but I find it in myself. I am so quick to want change. I am so reluctant to make changes. And you can't have one without the other. I am not religious. This is a welcoming message, but as we will see today, the temptation back to religion is also tempting, whether we realize it or not. And so let's take a look at some of the words of Jesus himself, this rescuer of our souls, this lover of who we are, who always meets us where we are, but never leaves us there. Let's take a look beginning in Luke 4, in verse 16. The Bible says this, And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So if you can picture, Jesus comes back into his hometown, right into the center of the religious culture of the day. There's people in the room that he came up with. My hometown is called Gainesville, Georgia. It's the poultry capital of the world. If you're eating chicken this week, you're welcome. <laughs> Jesus went to Nazareth. He's standing in the middle of this religiously charged environment, and he picks up the sacred text and begins to read them. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. By the way, this was written 700 years before Christ set foot on planet Earth. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to pro proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. If you could see this in a movie, you could feel the tension in the air. What was going to happen next? And Jesus spoke into this silence one of the most provocative statements. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This was an incredible, world-changing proclamation in this passage, Jesus is reading from a scripture that talks about the poor being given a hope, the captive being set free, the blind receiving sight, the wrong things in the world set right once and for all because of one who has come with an anointing from God. And Jesus says, you've been waiting. And now here I am. 
This is glorious. If he means what he says, this is changing everything. Jesus is saying there is a kingdom that is coming. See, in this world where you live, there is brokenness. In this world where you live, there is darkness. In this world where you live, there is evil, where bad things happen to good people, where hearts are broken on a daily basis, where death is constantly creeping in, where time is an enemy. But I want you to know about a place that is glorious and beautiful and set apart and perfect. It's a place that God himself has designed for all of his goodness to rest. And here's the good news. You are invited. There is a kingdom. And because I am here, I am the king. The kingdom has now come. That's good news. But here's the big question. How? How do we get in on this? Uh, That sounds great, Jesus. Like, I'll take some of that, please. Wipe away all the tears. Yes, thank you. Uh, Kleenex are very expensive these days. Um, Take care of all the sickness. Yes, please. That change sounds great. And so we see in the narrative in Luke, people start following Jesus. Can you imagine? If someone comes along and is like, I can take away everything you've ever dealt with. Only a few people are like, meh. Most people are following him. And he's attracting this beautiful, gorgeous, broken crowd and He starts to do what Jesus does, right? He moves into this, not just with word, but with action. And that's why we have a core value of action. We believe we see Jesus expressing this everywhere he goes. He's bringing his word to life. And when he meets a sick person, he heals them. One of my favorite stories is about Jesus and the leper. Jesus could have healed the leper with a word, but instead he reached out and touched the leper. I believe it was because the physical affliction was just the beginning. It was the emotional wound of rejection that Jesus overcome with a gesture. That's the kind of Jesus that we're talking about today. Not some religious figurehead or founder of a religion. And people are following Jesus. He's incredible. He's real. He's what we've been waiting for. It's what the world's been yearning for. And one day on the countryside, there's this group of people that many historians will tell us were more than just 5,000, probably closer to 15 or 20,000. And because they're people, probably Baptists, they're very hungry. And so Jesus feeds them. And you could easily stop the story here and go, yeah, that's what Jesus does. He heals sick people and leaves it at that. He's there to serve your needs and make this world just a little bit better. If you're hungry today, he'll feed you today and leave it at that. And you know what? Sometimes that's what religion does. We leave Jesus right here and we forget the rest of the story. But Jesus never left it at a temporary band-aid solution to a broken kingdom. He invited us into a glorious, unbreakable promise of discipleship. But it comes with a challenge. Look with me as Jesus continues right after the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke 9. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Some of you are introverts in the room, and I think Jesus sometimes knows exactly how you feel. He was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who did the crowds say that I am? One of the most definitive questions we could ever ask ourselves. And they answered, Some say you're John the Baptist, his cousin. Others say, Elijah famous prophet of the Old Testament. And others say that one of the prophets of old 
has risen. And then Jesus turns to these people that have been following him through thick and thin. One of them would go on to betray him to his very death. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus, you know what he does in this moment? He preaches the gospel. He was being followed by people who said, uh, I like uh, another loaf of bread, please. Mine did not have jelly. I'd like some jelly. <laughs> um, was there any more fish? I know there was leftover fish. What are you going to be doing with that? Um, can we get some more of these immediate temporary band-aid needs met, please? And Jesus says, what you need is so much deeper. He preaches the gospel to his disciples in verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The shocking thing about this verse is that Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Culturally speaking, this was such a um, provocative image to bring up. For us, it would be like suddenly bringing up the electric chair. It was a gruesome way to be executed for terrible wrongdoing. And yet here we see in verse 23, Jesus says, If you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And he says, why? Because for whoever would save his life, the life in this world... The cares of this day, like what we're going to eat tomorrow, what we're going to do tomorrow, who we're going to impress tomorrow. Whoever would save this life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, this life, this temporary life, this life that's going to go away anyway, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory, and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. But I tell you truly, this is so cool. There's some standing here right now who won't even taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Tons of stuff. We can never get to it all today. Good thing we're launching a series. Let's pray and ask God to help us study. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your life. Thank you that you are not a fairy tale, but a real incarnate person. Thank you that because of your death and resurrection by your spirit, you are here now. Would you meet us? Would you teach us about this glorious kingdom, this incredible promise, this epic invitation, what it means for us and how we walk as your disciples? We love you and thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, <clears throat> I made you say amen so I could cough. There's a couple of things I want to point out today. And I have some very simple questions at the end. The first thing is this. And it's very nature. Religion is transactional. But discipleship is relational. Religion is transactional. Discipleship is relational. And let me tell you what I mean by that. At its very heart, religion is saying, how can I be good to make God happy so my life will be good? How can I be good to make God happy so my life will be good? And not just this life, but maybe the life to come. 
if you were to imagine it into a scenario, you might find yourself in the bottom of a pit looking up at the sky, knowing you'd rather be there than here. Religion says somehow find a way to climb and crawl your way out. (coughs) What can I give? What can I do to get God on my side? How can I work harder to appease some distant deity, get his attention to make a difference? But discipleship is always relational. We saw that in our scripture as Jesus asked Peter this question, Who do you say I am? And maybe you're here today and you've been a disciple of Jesus for a really long time. And by the way, the word Christian wasn't used until sometime after Jesus' ascension into heaven. The word that Jesus used constantly was a disciple, a learner, a follower, an apprentice. It was a neutral word at the time, and it's one that Jesus has used. I was talking to some friends this week as we're discussing our discipleship strategy. What does it mean? And it's so crazy that we're still, as the church, trying to figure out what it means. It's because it was such a a commonly used word 100 years ago. If you're going to be a farmer, well, what did you do first? You were a disciple of another farmer. He taught you how to throw the seed on the ground and plow the field. And I don't know how to farm. I'm not a disciple of farming. But you kind of apprenticed. If you're a blacksmith, you kind of came in relationship with someone else. And it was the time spent together on mission. That is what transformed you into thing that you're trying to become. Jesus invites us into this relational uh, process with him and with each other. And so if you're wondering, how do I start this process? It always starts with Jesus. And it always starts with the question, who do you say I am? I love to share the gospel and tell this good news. I used to be super afraid of it because I thought I had to have all the right answers. Then God began to set me free. He taught me I could use this phrase when I needed to use it. I could say this, I don't know. (laughs) When I realized that I could say I don't know to things that I didn't know, suddenly I had tons of freedom to get myself in all kinds of conversations. And Jesus has taught me through so many interactions with people who brought up great things about my faith. I have this friend named Sam who is still not quite a disciple of Jesus, but when I met him, he was a militant atheist. He couldn't stand me, and I was like, well, Sam, the problem is I have four younger brothers. I have, like, a dad who's just, like, always in my life. My mom's super feisty, and you're just not going to scare me away. And uh, so Sam and I would have great conversations, and now I call him my everything but friend. He's everything but Christian so far, but we're still praying for him, and he knows I say that, and he smiles. Um, But he is the one who one day asked me, like, how can you say you're a Christian if you can't answer all of my questions? And I answered, Sam, there just came a point when I met Jesus, and it was so real just like I know you, just like I could never deny not knowing you. The reason I believe Jesus is because I've met Jesus. And he said, I want to feel that way, but I believe that you do. All discipleship begins relationally, begins relationally with Jesus based on the truth that Christ himself proclaims. I remember that there was a time when I believed in Jesus, but I lived like religion. I came to know God at a young age, at a vacation Bible school. I just really got the truth of what was happening. My daughter, she's four years old, but she's like grasping this truth all of the time. She was sharing the gospel with her six-month-old brother the other day. She was like, you can go to heaven, but you got to believe in Jesus. The choice is up to you. (laughs) 
we're going to keep you off the streets of Portland for a few more years. Um, or maybe not. Go for it. She was chasing one of her friends around with the gospel, and her mom was kind of like, can you please cool it a little bit? And uh, we're like, we'll try. <laughs> like, have you seen us ever stop our child? from? Have you seen her try to go for the cookies? She's getting cookies. Um, and so my daughter, instead of, like, actually sharing with her, just began uh, chasing her around with this book that my mom and dad had recorded of the Easter story. So it was my parents that are now sharing the gospel through book form. Um, but there was a time when I was six years old and I believed the message of Jesus. I had instilled it in my heart. I had trusted Christ. I would followed him in baptism. I was in my six-year-old way trying to live this out. And then something began to happen in my life. There, uh, And I've shared this story many times, but it's foundational. There was a lot going on in the Atlanta market at the time for acting. And what they would do is they would bring major Hollywood productions into town, and they would cast the principal roles in Hollywood, but like the second and third and fourth tier cast members, they would cast in Atlanta. And I can still remember sitting in this casting director's office. I had no idea who she was or that she was supposed to be impressive. I slid my finger underneath her desk, and I said, lady, you could really stand to dust. And she just laughed. And because of that, introduced me to the producer. They screen tested me in California. And at the age of six, was on an NBC television show. And it was great while that lasted. But something began to happen deep inside my identity, where I thought that I had to live transactionally, that I was only worth the last good thing I did, whether it was a role. Uh, I began to involve this in my faith. I began to think, maybe if I pray, then God will let me get my next audition. If I'm good to God, good things will happen to me. Maybe if I read my Bible, then I'll do really great on my next role. And this was all great until it stopped working. And the roles began to dry up and move to other places. And I found myself in middle school having no clue of who I was. The transactional system wasn't working anymore. And I meet people all the time. I meet atheists who proclaim to be atheists all the time. And when I really get to the heart of the matter, it's not a belief system. Right? It's not that they found some foundational piece of evidence to the origin of who we are. No one really has given me a great answer of what caused the uncaused cause. I'm sure they, there are some people who can, but I haven't met them yet. Ultimately, I meet people who say something like this. Um, either I feel like I've let God down, or more often, I feel like he let me down. And what they're speaking about is a transactional system that stopped working that was never supposed to work. That wasn't the offer of Jesus. It was never the promise of this glory. Not to make this bad world a little bit better. That's religion. When I was between 8th and ninth grade, I remember going away to a camp, and I was thirsty. My soul had been sucking up the sand of this world. I was trying to quench that thirst with everything. And you know what? That always works for a little while. And I just hit this point in my life where it wasn't working anymore, and I could feel myself feeling more desperate, like, okay, I'm going to have to up the ante. I'm going to try crazier stuff that I never thought about trying before. And my parents let me go to this youth camp. And I can remember it was a song lyric that said, Faithful Lord, fill my cup with your grace and love. And I just remember thinking, what would it feel like to feel filled up? I can't even picture that. Could that be true? And then the next lyric said, because the treasure that this world is filled up will never be enough. 
And I remember thinking back to going to a Christmas party at the president of NBC's house and looking around, just thinking, if I could have this, I would be happy. And then looking around and seeing all the people who had it who didn't look happy. And I thought, you're right. It won't be enough. And then there was another lyric said that said, I'm created for you alone. I'm bought at a price, I'm not my own. And I thought, could that be true? Could that be true? That I don't have to belong to anyone except the one who loves me more than anyone does. The one who made me, the one who knows my purpose, the one who wrote my identity, the one who promises to restore me. Is it true that I could lose this life and gain the one he's promising? And I went in. And I became this disciple. And since then, Jesus has given me the joy of inviting others to join. That's why I'm here today. Not because I need you to sign up to the club. Because this good news is really that good. The second thing that we see. Religion focuses on the immediate benefits. Discipleship leads to immeasurable rewards. Religion focuses on the immediate benefits. Discipleship leads to immeasurable rewards. Luke 9, 27. Remember, Jesus had just told them, guess what? I'm going to die they're like, what? I thought we were going to like storm the kingdom and throw out the Romans and like, we're going to party now that we're in charge. And he's like, mm, nope. <laughs> no, all those impressive people, they're going to turn against me and I'm going to die. And the reason is, is because you have a deeper problem that you know about. You think your problem is oppression and oppression is terrible. But it's hiding a deeper, a, a deeper oppression of your very soul. You think your problem is physical brokenness, and that's bad. Don't get me wrong, but it's nothing compared to what you're really facing. And that's the eternal consequences of all of the times you've rebelled against God. There's a conversation in Christian culture right now about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I have a friend who I'm discipling right now who asked me that question. Why does it seem like God is different in the Old Testament than in the New Testament? There's a beautiful answer for that. See, in the Old Testament, we see this God who sometimes is angry. He's angry with people who rebel against him. He's angry with the people that he created to love and bestow with humanity and gifts and blessing and relationship, relationship with God himself. He's angry with these people who continue to rebel in their own sins. All of this anger building up had to go somewhere. Where did it go? Jesus tells us in the prophecy that he makes. Because when Jesus went to the cross and stretched out his arms, it wasn't just the pain of the nails in his hands. It wasn't just the pain of the crown of thorns on his forehead. It was the very anger of God for your sin and your guilt and your shame and your mistakes and my sin and my guilt and my shame and my mistakes all at once laid on the one who knew no sin so that all who enter in by the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, wouldn't just get a little bit better, but be raised from death to life. Jesus was saying, you don't know what you really need, but I do. I'm going to give it to you because I love you. And discipleship leads to these immeasurable rewards. He just told them, you're going to have to endure this. You're going to have to watch me. You have these dreams of taking over the city. They're not going to come true. You're going to walk through one of the darkest nights you can imagine. You're going to be in terrible agony. But guess what? 
you're also going to see the kingdom of God. And everything is going to pale in comparison. I want to unpack this. We don't have time. We'll do it in the following weeks. It's so good. There's a third thing that we see. Religion seeks to gain in this life. But discipleship begins when you trade your old life for something new. When you trade your old life for something new. You know, religion, I grew up in the South, and sometimes religion says, here's what you need to do. You need to walk an aisle. You need to tell the pastor. You need to pray a prayer. You need to go swimming in church. Got to get under that water. And then, try not to cuss too much. Make sure you give. Serve in VBS. It's a big deal. And all of those things are great. Please try not to cuss too much, okay? Write that in your notes. But look what Jesus says in verse 24. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a person if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The Bible is really teaching us about what the church is and isn't supposed to do. We have a clear message, don't we? I mean, Jesus, he was this great minister, and he said, that is all for the purpose of one thing, invitation. Why am I feeding the bread? It's all for the purpose of invitation. It is not the destination. I will heal your sickness. Absolutely. There was one point when people were marveling at the fact that Jesus healed someone's physical weakness. And he says, you can marvel at that. But will you marvel at the fact that I can say your sins are forgiven? That is the greatest miracle of all. He's saying all of this ministry is wonderful. But that is all the invitation, not the destination. And if that's how Jesus operated, that's how we will operate as well. We will live out action in the name of Jesus for the purpose of invitation. We will act out restoration in the name of Jesus, all for the purpose of invitation. Truth, we will proclaim, we will introduce, we will point you to Jesus for the greatest invitation of all time. We believe in justice for the purpose of invitation and love. The most inviting element of all. But invitation to what? To lay down your life and follow him. The psalmist once wrote, Because your love is better than my life, my lips will glorify you. Is it any surprise that Jesus was always cutting the crowd? (laughs) 20,000 people got a free lunch. By the time he ascended into heaven, there were 500 that sit on the mountain watching him go. But when Jesus distilled what he was saying and people found the truth, the glory, then guess what? It started a movement that took over the world and reached us here today. The church is here to minister for the purpose of invitation, but that is not our final destination. We will exist as Spring of Life with our small resources, our young team, our beautiful body of believers for purpose. Action, restoration, truth, justice, love to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. You are invited. You are invited to enter this story. Jesus meets you where you are. I can't find one example of any time Jesus left someone where he found them. So there's two questions I said I would leave you with today. I'm going to ask for our musicians to come back. 
In just a moment, we'll have a time of reflection. Two questions. The first is this. Not, are you a good person? We've got that answer. No, neither am I. Church is for real people, so you can stop pretending. So that's not the question. The question isn't, can you earn back God's love? No. Good thing he lavishes it so freely. The question is not, can you do enough good to outweigh your bad heavens? No. So it's so beautiful that we have the cross where your sins were paid for. And when at the moment of belief, Jesus' goodness was transferred to your account and you became a co-heir of the Son of God himself. So that's not the question. The question, and really three, who do you say that Jesus is? Are you discipleable? Are you teachable? Religion talks about your outward actions. Discipleship focuses on your heart. It's a yes to Jesus every day before you know the question. Are you discipleable? And the third question is, as you enter into this story, are you discipling? Are you discipleable? And are you discipling? I talked at the beginning about this glorious, majestic invitation. I made a pretty bold statement. I'm going back to make sure I say it right. I said, you really can, according to the gospel, live a life with extraordinary purpose. You can, you can, you can. You can live a life filled with inexpressible joy. First Peter one, imagine inexpressible joy. You can live a life where your deepest thirst can be quenched. You can have all of that change. There's a change that Jesus is calling you to. It's a yes. It's a yes. The invitation is yours. The invitation is yours. Precious person, I would make it for you if I could. I'd be terrible at it. I'd mess it up. I wonder today what Christ is saying to your heart. Maybe you've never entered into this relationship before. What on earth are you waiting for? Maybe you need time. You think you do. Maybe you're still working through it. Then ask your questions. But today, the opportunity is yours. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Maybe today is the day you finally put that yes on the table for the first time and you pass from death to life. What about you, believer? Where in your life is Jesus asking you to lose your life that you may gain it? Over the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about four life signs in every disciple's life and how the Holy Spirit of God himself draws them out of us to that life of purpose, to that life of joy, to that life of unending promise and hope. If you could have it, what are you waiting for? Would you bow your head and pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just take a moment. Don't just listen to me. Take a moment and listen to God. Bible paints a picture in the book of Kings about a still small voice that prompting that weight on your heart that memory, that scripture so interesting how God's spirit can bring that to mind and maybe that's happening right now, listen listen to him 
Is there a sin that God is saying, my precious child, I have given you power over that? Is there a burden that is too heavy for you that Jesus is saying in this moment, let me have it? Discipleship is relational. And not just with Jesus, but with his people as we model his love for each other. And we are imperfect and we are messy and we are flawed. And yet our grace brings us back to each other again and again. And maybe tonight that's the step. What is Jesus saying? Precious person, say yes, say yes. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this invitation. Thank you for this gospel, this good news, this hope. Thank you for this life. We thank you for the miracle of this church, how you are bringing us together from all corners of the city, from all corners of this country. You're doing what you said in your word. You're building your church. And it's one that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Jesus, continue your work. Build this body, but build these lives in this room. Answer questions. Speak truth. We love you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you remain seated as we sing this last worship song together? Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.